Hello, hello, my fellow podcast people. I hope you're doing very, very well on this fine Thursday afternoon or whatever day and time it is for you right now as you're listening to this podcast episode. I'm your host, as per usual, Azrin the Language Nerd. You can find me primarily on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube, but also secondarily whenever I feel like posting on TikTok and on Tumblr. My username in all these platforms is exactly the same. It is at polyglotazrin. That is spelled P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T. A-Z or Z, depending on your country, R-E-N. You can also simply search Azrin the Language Nerd on whatever your favorite social media platform is. So again, that is spelled A-Z or Z-R-E-N, the Language Nerd. And welcome to another podcast episode. I am very, very excited, as per usual, to be recording this one here. So today is Thursday, as I said, and I return, or rather, I leave Taiwan in two days. On Saturday, I fly to France, I have a couple of days in France, and then I fly back to Canada. I'm back on can- back in Canada like mid next week, essentially. Is that right? Mid or late next week, rather. And I've got to say, it's finally sunk in that my travels are coming to a close. And it's a little bit sad. You know, I was having a conversation a couple of days ago with some students of mine, and they asked me, Azrin, how are you feeling about leaving Taiwan? And at the time, I think it hadn't sunk in. I hadn't fully realized how quickly my trip was coming to a close and how quickly I'm going to be back in Calgary. And today it's finally hitting me. And it's a really, really, it's a bit of a sad feeling. Not because, oh, my vacation time is over. Because I've been incredibly, I I have been incredibly busy during the past seven weeks when I've been traveling. And I have been doing a lot. I've still been working. I've been studying. I've been, it's been a very, very busy, both work, work-wise and academic-wise. There's, there, there's no doubt about it. But I think the biggest thing that I'm going to miss is not being in a Mandarin environment. It sounds strange, but that's the thing I'm going to miss. When I go back to Calgary, and this has happened to me many times, every time I'm gone for a long period of time to study a language, when I go back my brain, it's almost like my brain has become fully, my brain basically thinks seeing everything around me in Mandarin is the norm. That's normal. So when I go back to Calgary and Canada and everything is back in English, everyone's speaking in English, I'm hearing English, I see English signs everywhere around me, shopkeepers speak in English, culturally people speak people act in a Canadian way, not a Taiwanese way. The food, when everything around me is back to the Canadian way, it's a sense of reverse culture shock. It's 100% a reverse culture shock. And that's, I think, what I'm going to experience when I go back to Canada. In a funny way, when I'm thinking about it now, I've never really been introspective introspective about it in this way. But every time I've traveled abroad to an to another country for an extended period of time for language learning purposes. When I go back, my brain has become so convinced that the normal language on a day-to-day basis is the target language, not English. Because of that fact, when I am back in Calgary, in Canada, I base my brain tries to, it basically, I feel like I need to stay connected to that target language. And I try to Basically, for probably a, I don't know, a four to eight week period when I'm back in Calgary, I still try and keep myself immersed in the target language. It's a very bizarre fact. So an example of this, I remember for Spanish, 
I forget exactly what trip it was. It might have been Peru, it might have been Chile, I don't remember. But when I returned to Canada, I went to every single Spanish meetup that I could find. I would go all the time. I would listen to Spanish stuff on the radio. I would try. I did everything I could to keep myself immersed in Spanish and not in English. Weird, right? It's a weird kind of phenomenon, which ties into an interesting fact that I was thinking about today. And this bleeds in very, very nicely. It's a nice little connection point. I was thinking about this today. It's a following question. How many languages can we fit in one brain? The answer, I don't really know what it is. I'm sure the answer is a lot. Like there are people who speak, you know, 10 languages, 8 languages, 12 languages, 15 la there are There are people that speak many, 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 many languages to at least a conversational or some kind of adequate level. <clears throat> but I think what I'm trying to figure out is how many languages in your brain are you actively able to access and be able to start using at a very high level? For me, personally, the answer is basically two. Uh, yeah, basically two. At all points in time, my brain is really, really only has two halves to it. English always occupies one half of the brain. No matter what language I'm doing, no matter what I'm studying, no matter how immersed I am, English occupies one half of the brain. The other half of the brain is where I'm sharing the space with all the languages that I speak. And what happens is when I, when I am immersed, like I am right now in, in Taiwan, basically what happens is that of the second half of my brain, of the foreign language, the non-English part of my brain, 95% of it is filled by Mandarin. So when I need to go speak in French or in Spanish or Gujarati or other things, when I need to go speak in another language that is not English, English is the exception because I've, I've spoken it since birth, right? Well, since I was a child. Any other language actually feels a little bit challenging. I was, uh, this is crazy, yesterday I was talking to a, a very good friend of mine from Colombia back in, back in Calgary, she lives in Canada. And we were just talking, we're texting, and I asked, I sent her this text, and I read the text, and I thought to myself, this text is very poorly worded. Like, this is not very good Spanish. It was so bad that my friend was like, I don't understand why you're asking me. And I was like, and I was thinking, I didn't even know how to rephrase the question. My brain was so struggling to put together that Spanish sentence in a way that was cohesive and coherent and whatever, that it actually came out as bad Spanish. It was something that perhaps a Spanish learner would have written. Like it was not well said. And I was like, holy cow. Even when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching uh, French and Spanish specifically, I notice myself, my mouth will open and Chinese is gonna wanna come out. Cause my brain, the foreign language part of my brain is so deeply rooted in Mandarin right now that French and Spanish, it doesn't come quite as quickly. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm still very fluent in French and Spanish. I can still, if a French person actually happened last week, I met a guy from Quebec, I bumped into a guy from Quebec in, here in, in Taiwan, so we were speaking in, in French. And obviously I was able to, there's no real problems, but I felt the challenge. I could feel, I knew that in that moment when I was speaking French, I, I don't know if I would be coming across as a native speaker. 
it I actually might be coming across as an advanced as an advanced learner of the language. Weird, right? And it's because Mandarin is so fully occupying that part of the brain. So for other people, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the science says. I don't know what the research really says. But I know for me, I often feel like there's two halves to my brain. And one half is always occupied with English. The other half is occupied by whatever foreign language or languages I am using the most frequently. So this is why in Canada, because I'm, I'm using for the foreign languages, I'm probably using an equal amount, roughly equal amount of each foreign language every single week or every single month. So I'm equally kind of fluent or equally comfortable in switching between all the different foreign languages for the most part. Some days are obviously, you know, maybe some days I'm better at Spanish than French. Some days are slightly better in French. Some days are whatever, but generally speaking, it's reasonably equal. But for example, right now, when I'm using a lot of Mandarin every day, French and Spanish is seriously, it's taking a serious backseat. And don't even get me started on like Gujarati, for example. Don't even get me started with that. Because that's even, I haven't, like, I don't, I, I, I don't touch that at all. I'm so far removed from it that it's like, it feels so bizarre to even think about that language. Which to me, by the way, tangent, is even weirder because Gujarati is in theory, my first language. It is the first language that I spoke and I still speak it. And so it's, that's, an evil, that's a whole another complicated conundrum of a situation. But anyway, it's definitely something that, um, that I'm thinking about. Another thing that's really interesting is, 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 is habits, is speaking habits, or let's call them communication habits. That's maybe a better way to put it. It's funny how habits form with communication. Before coming to Taiwan, I had a little bit more of a Chinese, more of a Chinese, northern Chinese accent in Mandarin. Obviously not a perfect accent. Obviously there were there are some some parts where maybe it wasn't 100%, but generally speaking, generally speaking, I had more of a northern Chinese variety of Mandarin, especially in my accent and my choice of words. When I came to Taiwan, I slowly but surely, on purpose, learned how to speak in a little bit more of a Taiwanese way. Like, it's kind of like in English, this is the best example I could give. If someone learned their English in England, and then they came to Canada, you know, you are probably better off saying a washroom or a bathroom or maybe even restroom than you would by saying the loo. I'm going to run to the loo. Versus, I could be wrong, but I feel like in England, I think the loo is actually a word you can use for, for a bathroom, I, I think, right? So anyway, you'd be better off learning or changing and saying, oh, I'm going to use the word bathroom in Canada or washroom versus the loo, because that's really what they use. So very similar, right? I would, I systematically started to change some of the words that I would use because I knew, and my accent in certain ways, because I knew in Taiwan, that is how they do it. Now, for the first part of the trip, um, I, I would have to consciously make that decision. I would consciously have to say, oh, I'm going to use the word, the Taiwanese word for blah, 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 and not the Chinese word, the Mandarin, the mainland China word, because that's, I, I need to make that conscious decision. That's not the word they use here. That's not how they say it here. What's funny now, after five weeks of being in Taiwan, is I'm finding that my brain has to think to do it the mainland China way. My brain has to actually revert the normal, the quote unquote norm 
has now has now become many of the Taiwanese man the Taiwanese ways, and not the mainland ways, because I've I've changed the habit. I've sp- I've said certain things so many times in a row now that I've built a habit of saying it in that way. Now, this is a double-sided coin. This is a uh, a positive and a negative. We have to be mindful of this particular characteristic, this particular thing that can happen, because sometimes this is how we fall into bad habits. This is how we fall into bad pronunciation habits, bad grammar habits, bad habits in the language. Right? This happens, and so we have to be careful that we have to be not careful. We have to be mindful that everything we're doing in foreign languages. If we do it repeatedly, we're going to build a habit around it. So it's important to realize it's important to be getting feedback on your on whatever foreign language you're learning, so that you know if the stuff you're saying is actually the right way to be saying things. Otherwise, you're going to build potentially a lot of bad habits that are going to be pretty difficult to break or change later on in your language learning process. Um, I know myself when it comes to these kinds of habits. One thing I will do to change bad habits, and sometimes just set good habits, doesn't always have to be changing a bad habit. But for habits in general, when it comes to language learning, I like to create rules. Rules really help me a lot. That's me personally. Actually, going on a tangent. For some reason in my life, I like rules. I, I set lots of like rules for myself and structures for myself. Like I'll say, okay, I can eat really unhealthily on Saturday and Friday, but every other day has to be really, really good. And setting those kinds of rules and disciplines, I guess you could say, make me feel good. So maybe this is an Azarin thing. I don't know, but I do think setting rules for yourself is a fantastic way to build habits. So, for example. You could say, let's say you were trying to change a habit of mispronouncing. Here's a good. Here's a good example. Let's say I wanted to change my my mainland China accent, and I wanted to to adopt a Taiwanese accent. Let's pretend that's what I want to do. It's gonna be. That's a long process. That's a hard thing to do. There's a lot that goes into it. But one thing is pronunciation. Pronunciation is different. One very common word that is pronounced differently in mainland China. Compared to Taiwan, is the word "shi." Shi means like any version of the verb to be: is, am, was, were, etc. You know, are all those kinds of words. In Taiwan, they generally would say "si." So to say "I am" in mainland China, "wo shi." In Taiwan, in Taiwan, "wo si." Right. So it's like a s versus an sh kind of sound. If I wanted to adopt a Taiwanese accent, I might make a rule, and I might say, "Okay, every time that I say 我是 right, I'm going to say 我是 I'm going to change my pronunciation only on that one word. That is the rule. That is the that is the focus of every day. Like a, it is the most important thing every day. It's more important than learning more wo- new words. It's more important than than. Like it's more important than drinking water, almost. Like the number one thing of if I had a successful day is if I thought about every single time I said 我是 was I able to try and make myself say 我是 instead. Make those rules. Make one or two very simple rules, and make that the primary focus of your day. 
It's a great way to build habits. And in fact, it's a fantastic way to even learn really any element of the language. Like if you, I often get a question of how do you learn more? How do you make vocabulary stick in your brain? Very simple. It's slow, but it's a very simple way. You pick like two words every day. And the, the main, the only focus of that day is to use those, bring those words up in, in any part of your day possible. So if you're not immersed in the language, you need to use those words in English, in your mother tongue, with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, with your fellow classmates, with whoever you encounter in your life. You must find ways to use them in English. And then in your brain, when you say them in English, say it in in whatever target language. Immediately make that connection in your brain. Simple. If you are in a place where you are immersed and you're lucky like that, you must find ways to use those two words that you picked in your day-to-day -day life at least 10 times or five times or 12 times. Pick a number. That will work. It's intentional. It's putting a high amount of very, it's putting a high amount of focus on a small amount of information and that is what allows you to remember stuff. I think what tends to happen, by the way, me too, this is something, as I'm saying it, I didn't even think I was gonna go in this direction, but now that I'm talking about this, I realize I, I actually do this, and I need to rethink this with some of my students. With some of my students, I have a tendency of putting a high, a, a high amount of focus on a high number of things. But that doesn't work. You can't put high focus. You can't put lots of focus on lots of things. You don't have enough focus to go around. You have to put lots of focus on a small number of things. Lots of focus on a small number of things for most people is going to be a much more effective way to remember things and learn things and make progress than a high amount, a lots of focus on lots of things. Like it just, it just doesn't work as well. The one exception is if you're someone who absorbs language very quickly because that's how your brain is wired, you know, perhaps that's not, you need to, perhaps that's not always gonna work. Perhaps high focus on a small number of things is too boring. It's not as engaging. It's not gonna work as well. Another uh, exception to this rule is if you're someone who, um, if you're someone who needs a lot of stimulus to keep, to stay engaged, perhaps a high amount of focus on a very small number of things will get boring and eventually lead to disengagement. And perhaps that's not gonna be the best strategy for you. But I do think as a general whole, for most people in most circumstances, high focus, lots of focus, very few topics, lots of focus, very few things is a very effective strategy and mindset to be, to be following. Um, I think another piece of advice with this rule concept um, and this is really going to work for a lot of you. Um, there is a there's a there's a significant percentage of people who struggle with sentence structure and putting sentences together in a foreign language. There's a lot of people who struggle with this and who do a very poor job of it. I see it. I see it frequently, and it's a common enough question that I receive. And here's a very practical, like a very practical way to force yourself to absolutely force yourself and 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 improve that ability you have to with your sentence structure what you have to do is you have to figure out in your target language what first of all you have to learn what is the sentence structure of that language 
So let's take um, let's take Spanish for example, okay? Because um, I've been doing this with some of my Spanish students recently, and it's been working. It's hard. It makes them work. The brain is stretching in different ways, but it works. In Spanish, in most sentences, at least as a beginner, in simple sentences, your sentences will usually start with a person, like a who. Is it a yo? Is it is it is it I? Is it you? Is it a he? Is it a she? Is it a place? Is it a city? Is it is it is it they? It's almost in most simple sentences, you are going to start with a person, like with a subject of some kind. Next, you are most actually not most likely. You are almost always going to have a verb of some kind, and you are going to need to conjugate this verb accordingly to what person you are referring to. So most simple sentences are going to start with first a person. Number two, a verb that is conjugated. The third element of the sentence will always be different. It could be a location, it could be a feeling. The third element varies a lot, but the first two elements is always, for again, I stress for in Spanish, for simple sentences, is always a person and then a conjugated verb. If you struggle with sentence structure in Spanish, what I have been doing with students is telling them, hey, every time, 100% of the time, when you speak, you must always start with a person and you must always follow that with a with a verb that is conjugated. You must conjugate that verb. And I, I, I push it down their throats. Like I'm, I, I, I try to be as strict. I actually need to be even more strict on that, to be honest. I need to even go even more higher intensity on this with some of my students. I'm thinking of some people. You hold that line and it drills in your brain to put together well-structured sentences. It, it forces you to move forward and make progress. Most people or many people who struggle with sentence structure usually just start to throw a lot of words together. And maybe you understood, but it sounded like a bunch of mouth garbage. It sounded like a bunch of bleh, like you just spat a bunch of words out. It makes apps, like it doesn't fit very well. It sounds gross, right? So you have to be disciplined force yourself. Learn about the sentence structure of whatever your target language is. And you might have to Google it. I actually had to Google this in Spanish. I know the sentence structure in, in, in Spanish, right? I do know it. But for, for some reason to, I actually Googled it and I found a really cool like worksheet. It's for children. But the worksheet has this really nice diagram that visually makes sense. So I used that, I actually have been using this visual diagram with a couple of different students and student groups because I find this diagram really helps you understand that it's subject, conjugated verb, and then the third element is always different. There's always three elements minimum to that sentence, right? Think of subject, verb, object is a very simple way to think of this, right? So that's something that I think can work for a lot of you. And you must be disciplined with that rule. You must start with the person, or, and it depends on every language. Every language is a little bit different, right? But that is something, this rule, going back to rules, will make a tremendous difference and can force yourself to um, get better at sentence structure. Anyway, I appreciate your attention. Thank you for listening to this episode here, this podcast. And we will talk, uh, we'll talk next time. Bye for now. See you.